We're all about the journey here on the eleven. Yes, Paul Scholes was an excellent footballer, but he's Man U through and through and didn't need to battle to reach the top. Some players honed their skills in non-league before making a stunning climb up the pyramid to footballing immortality. OK, immortality might be a little generous for some of these names, but we're thrilled to induct them into the Straight Outta Conference 11. Good morning, Mr Warden. Arthur, I'm so pleased that we're doing one that's focusing on non-league teams. There's something charming about non-league football, don't you think? I think my my one of my local clubs is Maidenhead United. I've seen them quite a few times. What about you? Well, I have Dulwich Hamlet not too far away. Okay. Um, and I, I think, obviously, you know, the iconic use of pink in a football kit is well-renowned. So I'm um, big fan of them. You're also quite pleased with yourself about this name, Straight Out Conference, aren't you? I am. I think I was feeling a link to straight out of Compton. Um, so all of these players will have come straight out of the conference to somewhere in the Football League. Um, very much the players that, like Jamie Vardy, um, were plucked from the non-league tier system. Um, we, we are playing a 4-4-2. Feels very non-league. And um, of course, there are loads of possibles for this 11. So do get in touch at 11pod. That's the word and not the number. Well, Arthur, between the... Uh, the st- I'm going to say sticks. I don't think it would be jumpers for goalposts at this level <laughs> of non-league. Not quite, but this is, um, this is a player who earned his spurs at Sittingbourne FC. Oh, um, wow. Okay. The brickies. the brickies. Is that connected to kind of the employment, you know, as in are they were they builders originally? Absolutely no idea, to be honest. I cool. think um that's probably likely, but yeah, I've, I'm yet to uh, yet to find that out, so I can't can't inform uh, I mean, my we apologies. provide cutting edge insight here in the eleven, don't we, about exactly. our teams. But at least everyone now knows that they are nicknamed the Brickies, and yes. they play at the Jarman Solicitors Stadium. Oh, wow. I thought the Select Guy Leasing Stadium was bad. That's a real sellout to the man. There we go. The The uh, goalkeeper I am talking about is, of course, Lee Harper. Mm, no, no bells. No bells <laughs> I mean, being wrong. I, I think it's a really goalkeeper-y name, but that's just, I mean, probably because that's uh, because of other Harpers. I guess. Steve Harper. No, Steve, yeah. But um, Harper. There we go. Um, he started up at Eltham Town before signing for Sittingbourne after playing against them. So he'd impressed uh, Sittingbourne. And Sittingbourne at the time were known for producing a lot of talented players. Um, mm. In that year alone, four were signed by league clubs. Wow. Um, Arsenal actually at the time were looking at Neil Emblem. who, uh, who was Oh, yeah. Team. I do know that name. Yeah, he, he was a rangy centre-back. But while they were scouting him, um, they sort of picked up on Lee and they gave the 22-year-old at the time a few trial games against Charlton and Palace before opting to to sign him for 150 grand. So he went from Sittingbourne to Arsenal. Sittingbourne to Arsenal. A big, a big leap. And, And and actually, well, this was the summer of 1994 and it was one of the biggest fees for a non-league player ever. Um. His coach at Sittingbourne was wax lyrical about him in the press, saying that his talent was comparable to that of Seaman. Um, but of course, he would be playing second or even third fiddle at Arsenal behind Seaman and John Lukic. 
He was restricted largely to reserve games and having to impress in training. Then in 1997, with both keepers injured, he got his chance, and that was against Southampton. He lined up behind a back four, including Tony Adams, Martin Keown and Nigel Winterburn, not to mention the shield of Patrick Vieira in front of the back four and Dennis Burkamp further up. Um, Not bad for your league debut, um, having last played league football for Sittingbourne. Arsenal won 2-0, thanks to goals from Stephen Hughes and Paul Shaw, uh, neither of whom I've heard of. Have you heard of either of them? I haven't, I have to admit. (laughs) Were they also Sittingbourne graduates? Well, they they sound like it, to be honest. But even though they were the scorers, Southampton couldn't muster a goal. He made an excellent point-blank save from Matt Letizier. Um, And you'd really have to chalk it down as a dream debut for Lee. Sadly, that was his only game for Arsenal. Wenger offered him a two-year contract with the promise that he would become number two ahead of Alex Manninger. But refreshingly, he said no as he wanted first-team football. And this is something we've come across the... um, on the 11, the goalkeeper who's very happy to sort of rot on the bench, so to speak. Um, but no, Lee was not happy with that. He decided to go to QPR, who were managed by ex-Arsenal boss Bruce Rioch. Um, He played 140 times in four years. He finally got his chance of first-team football. Truth be told, it was a bit of a roller coaster there. He had a few injuries, newfound pressure of being number one. QPR were eventually relegated to the second division. And Harper took his leave. He played with Northampton for 150 games uh, before eventually calling time on his career um, after another foray into non-league with Kettering. Um, he won the Conference North with them in 2007-8. So he he has he has some end-of-season non-league pedigree as well. Um, by the way, when a goalkeeper retires, do you say hanging up their gloves or w- what? Yeah, I think you would. But that, I mean, they're, they're not the easiest things to hang up, are they? <laughs> but, <laughs> the Velcro together. Yeah, just, I think, but I think you would. I think you absolutely would. But I guess they wear boots as well. So they do. They do. I, I think that's an incredible story, actually. Someone who's gone literally directly from non-league to the highest level. Um, I can't think of many who've, who've made that step. Really amazing. I, I don't know whether you read about the um, his his jersey being stolen yes yeah sad news do you want to do you want to tell that one well i've just read it here that um he, he is appealing because unfortunately his house has been burgled lee harper and they've stolen the um the jersey that was signed by the arsenal squad that he wore in that single game for the gunners um so i guess we could use this podcast as an appeal really to try and get lee harper's jersey back to him Completely agree. Um, what a memento of that debut. Um, and I just have an enormous amount of respect for for his his kind of career, really, um, of the fact that he experienced Premier League football and perhaps you could say, ultimately, given his subsequent career trajectory, he wasn't quite good enough for the Premier League. However, he went on to have a really fruitful career at, at Championship League One level. He said, you can tell the Alpha and Omega is first-team football People say when you leave Arsenal, nothing compares. And I understand, but I don't regret my decision. And I, I just, I, I have infinite respect for that decision to actually, you know, I, I became a professional footballer. I don't, I just, I don't just want to not play football. Mm. Um, and, and the money at Arsenal was probably decent as well. So um, fair play to him. 
Love that shout. We have a goalkeeper in our straight out of conference 11. Um, you're getting the idea if you're new to this podcast. We will run through all the players in our side. And left back today is Darren Barnard. Any relation to Lee? No, no relation to Lee. I'd say a much better player than Lee, actually. I think this is my favourite non-league success story in the team. Um, But I am biased, Arthur, and that's because he started at Wokingham Town, which is my my local team. That's brilliant. I know. They're now known as the Wokingham and Embrook um, Football Club or Wokingham and Embrook Oranges Last season, they finished 16th out of 18 in the Combined Counties League Premier Division North. Um, They're nicknamed the Satsumas on account of their fluorescent orange kit. Uh, And Barnard, frankly, is their only claim to fame. They're a very small club. Have they ever faced off against Blackpool, the Satsumas against the Tangerines? No, I don't think we're sort of talking that level, really, Arthur. (laughs) Uh, It's very much a field down at Wokingham and Embrook. Um, but I love them all the same. Uh, and Barnard was a massive success. He, um, he scored 11 goals in 34 games for the Sumers, um, playing in midfield at the time, and was signed for a remarkable £100,000 fee in 1990. H- how the hell did a club as small as Wokingham Town get six figures for a player? I just can't believe it. Especially as he's 18, you imagine yeah. he was like earning very little kind of like... It's just incredible. Um, but it, he, he moved to Chelsea um, for five years in the early 90s, uh, an option at left wing back or sometimes left midfield. Uh, but he did struggle for game time at the bridge and would eventually go on a brief loan spell to Reading. Uh, time at Bristol City in the then second division settled Barnard in a regular left back position and prompted the most successful move of his career, a £750,000 move to Barnsley in 1997. There he became an assist king, marauding at every opportunity. He played Premier League football for another season and became a fan favourite, scoring, I have to say, possibly the best goal I've ever seen in Barnsley's 7-1 demolition of Huddersfield. I have to post this one on YouTube. It's an incredible volley. Um, So fair play to Darren Barnard. Uh, And he did also earn caps for the Welsh national team. So played at a reasonable reasonable pedigree. After returning to Berkshire's non-league scene with Camberley Town in the noughties, Barnard became a legend of Masters football. He won the Golden Boot an incredible three times in the London Masters, which is all the more remarkable considering he was a left back for his almost his entire <laughs> career. Um, and he did also become noteworthy after um, Arthur for his time on the injury table. Uh, this may spark a memory. Darren Barnard suffered perhaps one of the weirdest injuries for a Premier League footballer. He slipped on a puddle of his puppy's urine on his kitchen floor, <laughs> ended Love up you. tearing a knee ligament and as a result missed out on a large chunk of their sole season. So, uh, oh sole season God. in the Premier League. So, yeah, uh, I feel for Darren, but I was so delighted to get him into this side, um, being a Wokingham Town alumni. Yeah, absolutely. What a, what a player. And um, great to mention your local club, um, who I am seeing here have a steeped history in the Reading Senior Cup. 
four victories in a row. They won it between 2011 and 2015. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, cup giants they are, Wokingham and Embrook. Um, love the Sooners. Great to get them in this team. Um, actually, our centre-back is up for grabs. Um, if you're familiar with the podcast, you'll know we get nominations in from journalists and football personalities um, to make up a poll. It will go on Twitter, at 11pod, to vote for your centre-back. Um, there are, of course, two centre-backs, though, in a 4-4-2. And Arthur, uh, you're up. Yeah, it's one size. One size fits all. Yes. Yes. Love that. What a legend. Um, one of my favourite nicknames in the game. He later went on to launch a clothing brand in that name, which um, obviously an open goal for, for Fitz. He had been released as a youngster by West Ham. Uh, he'd been the same intake as Konchesky, Zamor and J. Lloyd Samuel. And although he had a brief gameless stint with Barnet, he ended up joining Ryman Premier outfit Chesham in 2001 as a 20-year-old. Um, Hall was a striker at the time, but Bob Dowie, who was Chesham's manager, had a vision and converted him to centre-back, where his career really began to ignite. It wasn't long before Bob's brother Ian heard about the talents of one size and signed him for Oldham Athletic for 30 grand. It proved to be a, a cracking investment. Uh, he picked up a place in the PFA Division 2 Team of the Year in 2003 uh, and was described by Ian Dowie as comfortable on the ball and quick in the tackle. Ooh. I think, you know, that's that's a real testament to what a defender Fitz was. Um, <laughs> just over a year later, however, largely prompted by financial issues at Oldham, which Dowie described as ripping the heart out of the club, my club, Southampton, signed the six-foot-four Bayamoth <laughs> my turn <laughs> they signed for 300 grand as cover for Klaus Lundekvam and, and Svensson I wouldn't say his time at Saints was a roaring success uh, he played only 11 times but it did give him enough time to score a great own goal uh, before he left to join Ian Dowie once more for a, a one and a half million this time at Palace a pretty tidy profit from Saints in a, in a short period of time a few further highlights uh, there were in his career, an unstoppable 20-yard pile driver against Southampton in 2005 and subsequent moves to Wigan, QPR and Newcastle, um, winning the championship with the latter two in consecutive seasons. In the 2008-9 season for Rangers, he scored two goals and then had a penalty saved uh, to deny him a hat-trick. What a moment that would have been. And my favourite bit of trivia about Fitz. Uh, is that, um, and I can see you smiling, so I think you might have just seen this. <laughs> Aged 12 in 1997, he appeared in Bruce Willis and Gary Oldman classic, The Fifth Element. <laughs> Did you know that? <laughs> it's so good. Um, so he's basically like, I mean, from what I can see, I haven't actually seen the clip and I will absolutely uh, go away and, and watch it after this. But um, an article on what, culture.com reads when a giant when the giant penguin gods arrive in early 20th century egypt to borrow a super weapon it's fitz hall's gobsmacked face that greets the landing of their spaceship so what a sight to behold that is <laughs> the things you well, learn on this fits. podcast I, I just think it's wonderful and he is a real success story of non-league actually and you know he's played 86 times in the Premier League during his career Fitzhall 
So this is a player that went on to really establish himself at the top level. Um, and, and who'd have thought he started at lowly Chesham United? Sadly, things aren't aren't going so well for the generals these days. <laughs> They're uh, in the Southern League Premier Division South. Um, last season, they were sixth out of 22. So steady, uh, pushing for, for promotion, but not not doing so well, I'm afraid. Yeah. Nice place, Chesham. Good. Might, might try and get along to a game at the generals. Right back. And I'm going to say the best player in this 11, Arthur. Up for debate, though. Steve Finnan. Oh, Steve. I didn't realise Steve was a non-leaguer. Neither did I. I. I assumed he'd probably come over from home farm in Ireland or something like that and signed directly for Liverpool. But no, he was... athletic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> he was a, a non-league player. Irish Mr. Consistent. Uh, he's actually won Division 3, Division 2, Division 1, the Intertoto Cup, the FA Cup, the Community Shield and the Champions League in Istanbul. And he played in the 2002 World Cup. In fact, Steve is the only player to have played in the World Cup, Champions League, UEFA Cup, Intertoto Cup, all four levels of the English league football system and the conference during his career. Um, I believe someone else may have matched that feat, but he was certainly the first. So Steve Finnan really has gone up through the levels. It actually started at Welling United for Steve Finnan. It was in 1993. He'd been released by Wimbledon's academy and he began working as a bricklayer in the family building firm. He played two years of football for Welling uh, before also being subject to a £100,000 transfer back into the Football League. A question for you, Arthur. Which former Bournemouth midfielder also started his career at Welling? Um, More recent. Andrew Sermon. Ooh, good guess, but no, Harry Arter. Oh, Harry, good old Harry. Welling. Uh, And a great fact about Welling, they actually started life just as a single under-15 Sunday youth team. That team eventually grew and graduated into men's football and they climaxed with playing in the football conference for 14 years. So it's a massive non-league success story, Welling United. Steve, Steve Carragher, who's Steve Carragher? Jamie Carragher said about his teammate, Steve Finnan at Liverpool, he's the best right back I've ever played with. I was playing a different role at left back in the 2001 treble year and Marcus Babbel was superb at right back. But as brilliant as Marcus was that season, I'd have to say Finnan's the best right back I've ever played with. He doesn't get a lot of credit, but when the PFA Team of the Year awards are announced, I'd be amazed if he isn't right back. Unfortunately, you're not allowed to vote for your teammates. If you could... He'd be my first pick. Uh, and I'd, I'd largely agree with that from what I saw of Finn. And I thought he was world class. An incredible list of achievements throughout his football career. And I had absolutely no idea he started at the very bottom. Yeah, you can, you can see with his pedigree why Espanyol wanted to include him as part of the deal to uh, sell Albert Riera back in the noughties. But that didn't work out for Steve. But he's in our eleven. it long towards Finnan who gets away from Robinson Robinson is down injured it's still Finnan so on the 11 we don't just like to talk about nostalgic retired names of the game we do consider ourselves somewhat attuned to scouting 
in the game. Um, we, uh, of course, have predicted our England 2030 World Cup starting 11. Oh, yeah. Soon to be uh, soon to be seen whether that works out. And of course, you were the person who introduced me to Kane McLaggen as the next big thing. Yeah, I was. Yeah, um, a young Saints youth player. Who, where did uh, he play? Thrived. He thrived against Reading uh, when yeah. he made a aggressive run um, when he was just 18. And I was watching at St. Mary's and I thought, that guy, that guy, he's he's destined for the top. Yeah. Um, I told and, you about it. and where did he peak, Arthur? Um, I, I'd say he's currently peaking, to be honest. At oh, yeah. The FC. <laughs> <laughs> so not great. But I did introduce you before he became a hotshot to Kovica Kvaratskhelia. So, yes, um, you did actually do that. There we yeah. go. So I thought it would be fun if we could try and inform the listeners and nail our flags to the mast of a certain couple of young National League future prospects who we think could make it into maybe upper echelons of the Football League or maybe even the Premier League. Yeah. Have you uh, have you got your eye on anyone? I've got a couple. Um, I've tried to go for players that I've actually seen live, um, which severely limited the number of players I had to choose from. But I, I did like the look of these two. Um, first one, Salim Saeed. Now, I saw him playing for Farnborough, uh, so that's National League South. Um, he's a tricky winger or attacking midfielder, a real handful, Arthur. Um, there were experienced players on the pitch like Ricky Holmes and Sam Deering, but I felt Salim looked to cut above. Um, and I couldn't believe it when I found out he was only 19. Um, he has a look of Mo Salah about him. I believe he's he's English, but with Tunisian um, background. He's got wispy, curly hair. And I think that's the role he could play one day in the Football League. Maybe not for Liverpool, um, having so far started out at Westfield, Slough and Farnborough. But I, I'm going to say maybe he could be like a, a sort of Fleetwood Town winger. Um, okay. Yeah, decent goal of his actually against Worthing can be found on Facebook. Uh, and the other name I wanted to throw in, I have a little bit of bias here, but he's very good. Um, my very good friend, um, his uh, daughter's husband is <laughs> Sam Barrett, who plays for Maidenhead United. Um, a really creative player, unafraid to take on his man, but also a scorer of great goals. Um, there's an incredible example that you can find on YouTube where he scored from the halfway line. That's one of 34 for Maidenhead. He's aged 27 and I don't want him to leave Maidenhead really, but I, I certainly think he'd be worth a punt in the Football League. He's he's had one um, opportunity at South End before, but it was curtailed by injury. So, um, oh, no. yeah, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see Sam pop up in in, uh, in the Football League again. Yeah. I'd like to throw Andrew Dallas's hat in the ring. Okay. Um, any any reason for that? I, no, I haven't heard of Andrew. No. Uh, well, he's a, he's a Glasgow-born left winger. Okay. Um, he's a former Rangers youth player. Um, and he's had, an, he's had an immensely productive uh, season, actually, scoring nine goals in the National League from left wing. Um, in February last year, he scored all five against Dover in a 5-0 win. 19 league goals last season and he's also scored a perfect hat trick in the FA trophy so this is a man who at the only the age of 23 I think has has really everything ahead of him I think he might even be better than Sam um, Sam your guy is oh Sam? Sam Sam's no he's not better than Sam Andrew did previously spend some time with League Two Cambridge 
But I think that's too low a level for him. I think Andrew can can probably get to the championship. And next up, I've chosen Scott Pollock, who is a current Boston United player. That's a very football name. Scott Pollock. Mm. Yeah. Is it? I think so. Yeah, we've had Jamie Pollock. We have. Scott Wagstaff. (laughs) Um, He's currently playing the National League North. But I I wanted to mention Scott because I just feel like his story is great. In 2017, he began playing for then Sunday League team, Hashtag United, after winning their nationwide academy competition in May of that year. Uh, And then he subsequently appeared at the EE Wembley Cup later that year, uh, a competition in which he won man of the match and was subsequently handed a trial at Crystal Palace. They didn't sign him. They said that he was too slight. But I think that Scott has really worked on his uh, his physique. He's bulked up. Um, he had a stint at Northampton Town in League Two uh, with an assist on his debut and scored soon after. But he faded after their promotion to League One. And now he's at Boston United. He scored 14 in 24 this season from centre midfield. And he's just 21 years old. So... All of that experience behind him is just a 21-year-old. I think the future is Scott, to be honest. <laughs> the future is Scott. I think I it is. That. And I'm a man who knows because I've just um, put a bet on on young Jimmy J. Morgan playing for England one day with my friend Tommy. Okay. Um, it's, a, it's a bet that will run for 20 years. So we will, we will be friends, uh, hopefully when young Jimmy J is, is 36 years old. So, uh, yeah, I, li- I like trying to trying to pick the next big thing. And Scott Pillock. Scott Pillock. <laughs> <laughs> and Scott Pollock is the next big thing. To the left of midfield, and it's Ian Wone. Ian Wone. Yes, love that. It's a phenomenal name, I think, Ian Wone. Yeah, two syllables. Makes yeah. it easy, doesn't it? Ian Wright, Ian Wone. It and does. And another man with two syllables is Sean Deitch. Yes. Um, and he was uh, Ian was his assistant for 10 years at Burnley. Uh, so that's why some people might know the name. Uh, he's also a Nottingham Forest legend. Um, after a promising youth career at Man City... Uh, he spent five years playing in the lower leagues, including spells with Heswall, uh, Welsh sides Carnarvon Town and Newtown, uh, before arriving in the conference with Runcorn Halton FC. It just seems quite out of kilter reading about Ian Wone, the following on, on Runcorn Linnets FC fan site. Wone was renowned for his passing ability and his sweet left foot. How many of us could ever forget his winner against Wivenhoe in the second round <laughs> FA Trophy replay in February 1990, <laughs> fighting back from a deficit to win 3-2 against a very spirited team? <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah, he only actually played 36 times for Runcorn, uh, scoring 14 goals, 11 in the league, three in the FA Trophy. Uh, and he helped the team to a top three finish in the conference behind Darlington and Barnet. Age 22, he was reputedly on his way to sign for Bournemouth when Brian Clough decided to take an interest at Nottingham Forest and Wone went there instead for a reported fee of £80,000, which, um, again, was was enormous for the time in the 90s mm. um, from non-league. Praised for his languid left foot, 
his attacking flair, his crossing and shooting ability. He did have a few question marks over his lack of pace, but Wone established himself as one of the most prominent figures in a Forest team uh, over a 10-year period who were enormously successful. He'd make 218 appearances for them, including games in Europe, and score 31 goals. Uh, Two of those were long-range free kicks in their FA Cup draw against Spurs. Um, He said, I knew I wouldn't stand a chance of taking free kicks had Stuart Pearce not been injured. I've tried that, speaking about the second free kick, a hundred times, and it always ends up in the Trent. So um, he was was a character. Um, Mm. And as his career drew to a close, he spent time at Barnsley and Swindon uh, before playing out in the States for Columbus Crew. Runkong Halton FC itself dissolved in 2006 and was reformed as Runkorn Linnets, who now play in the Northern Premier League Division One West. Mm. Um, they have an average attendance of 374, uh, which is top of their league, uh, but it pales in comparison with uh, the 1600 capacity of the Apex Taxis Stadium. Wow. Um, also, I quite like the fact that one of their coaching staff currently is. Um, a former Port Vale, Swindon and Doncaster player whose name sticks in my mind for some reason. It's Billy Painter. Yes. Yeah, I remember that name. Love that. Oh, Billy. Um, but I was at um, I was at housewarming of a friend's last night and I got chatting with a um, a bloke from, uh, from Liverpool uh, who's moved down to London about sort of 10 years ago or something. Um, and he was, he was saying he used to play football when he was young. Um, and he used to live very near Runcorn. And when he mentioned Runcorn, I immediately said, Ian Wone. <laughs> <laughs> you must have looked nice and normal. Yeah, um, yeah. a little bit random. But then obviously I plugged the podcast and he oh, I was even less normal. So, um, so there we go. It's really interesting, actually, reading about some of these non-league teams like Runcorn. I know one of their local rivals was a team called Prescott Cables, um, who were a, a team that essentially were founded by um, the British Insulated Cables Company that was a major employer in the area. Um, and they were known as the Pesky Bulls. Um, oh so God. you just find all these weird facts and great facts. And um, yeah, I, I, I really have enjoyed researching this podcast. There's something... Um, also just incredibly charming about non-league with these small transfer fees and players who are born in local areas and, and play for their local team, et cetera. Yeah. When you sort of pin it up against um, the likes of Chelsea signing all these incredible players on huge amounts of money on eight or nine year contracts, it just, you know, we have a friend, Simon, who he supports West Ham loosely, but he's really a non-league fan because he's like, honestly, it's it's pure football. It's yeah. what you should actually, you know, follow. And, and the tickets are cheap and there's so much going for non-league football. Um, but I, I, yeah, I'll be still sad when we get relegated this year. Yeah, there we go. Centre midfield um, alongside Ian is Alan, Alan Pardew. Pards. I know nothing yeah. of his playing career. Well, that's it. We all remember him as a manager, right? Reading, West Ham, Newcastle, Palace, CSKA Sophia. Um, <laughs> but was he awkward dad dancing as a player? Well, he, he certainly had modest beginnings. He was part time working as a glazier. Uh, and during that time, he was playing for Whiteleaf, a team in the London Spartan League. 
He had a spell with Epson and Yule, uh, a team with a motto of none such. I, I have no idea what that means. What could it possibly mean? Um, <laughs> but Pardew, a lanky, athletic, box-to-box midfielder, then left football altogether to work in the Middle East uh, before returning sometime later to non-league football with Corinthian casuals. Uh, and this is particularly interesting. Not only does this Tolworth-based team have the most disgusting pink and brown kit and overcomplicated logo on the planet, uh, they also have a really interesting history. Uh, The team once played in the grounds of Lambeth Palace and they toured Brazil in the late 80s due to a link with Corinthian Paulista out in Brazil. Um, That included a match against Paulista in which Socrates played for both teams Um, The truth is I can never really do this story justice, but there's a fantastic podcast out there called Broadway to Brazil. Um, So I would really recommend checking out a few of their episodes I I have this week. And it's a fascinating story about how Corinthian casuals and Corinthian Paulista have this magical relationship. Pardew, meanwhile, though, upped his game and gradually rose through the leagues. He hit his peak at Palace. This was in 1989. He helped them win promotion to the first division after beating Blackburn in the playoffs. Um, And the following year in 1990, he scored the winning goal as Palace beat Liverpool 4-3 and after extra time in the FA Cup semi-final at Villa Park. He then played in both the final and the final replay as Palace lost to Manchester United. And that 1990 FA Cup squad, Arthur, had remarkable straight-out-of-conference calibre. Indeed, in the squad for the final... You had John Pemberton, who played for Chadderton in his youth. Andy Gray, who played for Corinthian Casuals also. Phil Barber, who played for Aylesbury United. Mark Bright, who played for Leak Town. And Ian Wright, who played for Greenwich Borough. So, um, so many that we could have picked in that 1990 final squad. Some absolute legends. And I, I think it's obviously... For new listeners, worth mentioning that there are some iconic names such as Jamie Vardy, Ian Wright, uh, who've really ploughed the uh, the furrow. Is that a thing? I think you can plough a furrow. Furrow, yeah, yeah. They've ploughed that furrow, Um, but they're just they're just such big names. We wanted to shine a light on the uh, the pardews of the game. I have to say, Um, I I love the fact that he's currently managing um, in (laughs) out in Greece in out in Greece at Aris FC, um, currently got a 50% win ratio, having had a stint managing at CSKA Sofia and ADO Den Haag. Um, so he's really become a bit of a, a traveller these days. Go go, yeah. Pardiola. I love it. Love that, Pardiola. Who's uh, alongside Alan in the centre of the midfield? Well, we're swiftly moving from Pardew the Glazier to Jimmy Bullard the Cable Fitter. Oh, wow. Yeah. He started his career with Gravesend and Northfleet Football Club, who are now Ebbsfleet FC, um, in the football conference before signing for his boyhood heroes, West Ham United. He said, fitting cable was my first gig and I had my own van for six months and used to earn a good living. But the job went boom and the van was taken away from me and I had to go on the brushes. I also went in for a fireman's gig Painting was all I had, really, but that gave me good money to earn a living and play my footy. I worked with my dad and it allowed me to go and play for Gravesend. 
he gives me days off just to go and play and that helped me. It was weird as I was still playing for Gravesend and Northfleet and was a West Ham fan, still had McLaren and Blue on the walls at home. And then Roger Cross, who was an assistant under Frank Lampard Sr., came up to me and asked me if I wanted a trial at West Ham. I was like, West Ham? He said, yeah, Chadwell Heath, nine o'clock, be there with your boots. I signed a three-year pro contract two weeks later, the same day as Paolo Di Canio. So um, the start was pretty glorious for him. He never ended up making an appearance, sadly, for them, uh, and eventually wound up at Wigan, uh, winning many plaudits, along with Football League Division Two Player of the Season um, in 2002-03, and also helping Wigan to the Premiership in 2004-05. Uh, he was on the Wigan side that was beaten by Man U in the Carling Cup final in 2006 as well. Um, and I just, he, he's a player who I just absolutely love, known for his cheeky East End character. In one incident, he ran the length of the pitch in a, an attempt to score after there was a floodlight failure during Wigan's League Cup semi-final <laughs> home leg against Arsenal. Uh, in another, he attempted to leapfrog a pile of players in a goalmouth scramble against Everton, uh, and it ended in him falling flat on his face. Um, then, of course, there was the infamous mock team talk goal celebration yeah. uh, in Phil Brown's hull side. Um, just a brilliant moment. Um, I also quite like uh, the fact that his German grandmother um, meant that he could be called up to the uh, National Mannschaft, uh, which his agent leaked to the press in order to try and instigate an England call-up. Um, he was called up. Uh, but remained on the bench. He said, Capello hardly spoke to me. I thought, who is this character who looks like Postman Pat, who's picked me but didn't want to talk to me? I tried all sorts to get on, stretching in front of him, almost touching his Italian suit. Come on, get us on. I love the fact that he's related him to Postman Pat. That's so good. It is so good. Um, but Ebbsfleet, they're an interesting club, aren't they? Um, in 2007, uh, website My Football Club entered into a deal to take over the club, uh, and approximately twenty-seven thousand My Football Club members each paid thirty-five pounds uh, to provide uh, an approximate seven hundred grand takeover fund, uh, and then they all owned an equal share of the club, um, but made no profit and didn't receive a dividend. Uh, but they did get to vote on transfers as well as player selection, all major decisions, etc. Um, I remember at the time they had a great striker in John Akinde. Do you remember? Yeah, him? yeah, of course. Yeah. And he went Bristol, on to bigger Bristol and better cities. things. Yeah, yeah, they're currently ailing somewhat in in National League South. But yeah, that's uh, that's Ebbsfleet for you. Oh no, sorry, they're absolutely not ailing. They're top of they're top of <laughs> National League South. <laughs> <laughs> they're really Luke ailing. Who's on the right, Ben? Well, on the right hand side, we have Gary Taylor Fletcher. Oh, I he was my favourite player in that um, Holloway Blackpool team. He certainly was a key member of that. Yeah, we love Gary Taylor Fletcher. He feels very 11 and he also feels like a non-league to Premier League success story. Sure enough, he is. Something about his slightly cumbersome style, but with flashes of brilliance, improvised skill, the beautiful game, but without grace, um, that made him feel like he'd come through the ranks. And I feel sorry for him in a way because he was a phenomenal player that was subjected to abuse throughout his career because of his weight. Um, but regardless of that, he could never be accused of being ineffective or lazy as a footballer. 
He was born in Widnes and he pursued a successful career in roofing, first of all. Uh, And it was during this time he was spotted by scouts of Conference National Club Northwich Victoria while playing a charity friendly against a local team made up of labourers. Um, they're a team I've seen live, actually, Northwich Victoria. I saw them in a dramatic cup defeat to Northampton Town. The winning goal scorer was Dominic Calvert-Lewin that day. And there was a massive fire in the pub down the road, which made the national papers very bizarre. Um, and they're a team that have had a long and successful history. They were once an FA Cup quarter finalist in 1884. Uh, and they've had several other notable former players, including Bruce Grobelar and Delhi Adabola. But Blackpool was the one for Gary Taylor Fletcher. Uh, there he sampled second tier football for the first time, taking to it like a duck to water. And then he scored in the 2010 playoff final against Cardiff, taking the Seasiders up into the Premier League. In doing so, Gary Taylor Fletcher's journey from non-league football to the Premier League since the turn of the millennium was complete. Uh, And in 2010, he scored Blackpool's first ever Premier League goal in a 4-0 win over Wigan. I think most people are fond of Gary Taylor Fletcher, aren't they, Arthur? I think we are. Um, And I think the the name Gary Taylor Fletcher just, just, you know, rolls off the tongue. Uh, and I see that he started his career as Gary Fletcher. And I just can't yeah. help but feel he wouldn't have been half the man he was if he was just a Gary Fletcher. It's just yeah. a bit... He'd have had half bit, the name, that's for yeah. sure. Not a, not a not an exciting name, I'm going to be honest. But Gary Taylor Fletcher is, uh, is, is awesome. It became the stuff of um, general social media chitter-chatter, but I did enjoy this email that Joey sent into a national newspaper about Gary Taylor Fletcher. He said, I'm sick of sports commentators saying you couldn't write a script like this. If people can write scripts about dystopian futures in which life is in fact a simulation made by sentient machines to harness humans, heat and electricity as an energy source, they can probably write ones about Gary Taylor Fletcher scoring a last minute equaliser against Stoke. (laughs) Very true. What a strike that is. We could not possibly have wished to have seen a better first goal of this season. Absolutely stunning. Gary Taylor Fletcher gets Blackpool up and running. Two strikers to lead the line. And for me, Mr. Non-League. Barry Hales has to be in there. Oh, Barry. Barrington. Yeah, Baza Hales. I mean, aged 50, Barry Hales is still playing at the moment for Windsor FC. Um, And post-Premier League, he's become a non-league journeyman. His CV includes Truro City, St Albans City, Arlesley Town, um, Chesham United and Merston. Uh, but he started in non-league two with Williston Hawkeye. Um, weird name for a team, this one. And it it has a story. Williston, who don't have a team now, once had two. Williston Constantine and Williston Hawkeye. Constantine was named in honour of the famous West Indian cricketer, Saliri Constantine, uh, an icon for the black community who was once famously discriminated against by a London hotel, uh, and that team brought through the likes of Ricky Hill, Enoch Shawunmi, and Junior Agogo. 
whilst Hawkeye, Hales' team, was formed by Roy Forbes Allen, who also owned the famous Hawkeye Record and Bakery Shop in Craven Park Road, hence the name. So the team was effectively named after this shop, which I can't get my head around, served effectively vinyl records and iced buns. I, I absolutely do not understand the market for that. That is utterly bizarre. I love the uh, I love the story of the the uh, etymology of these clubs. They have such interesting random stories. Well, Hales was too good for Williston Hawkeye in the end, and he successfully climbed through the league, switching from right back to striker in the process uh, and banging in goals at a ratio of roughly one every two games. The stocky, nippy striker got his Premier League chance with Fulham in 2001, scoring eight goals in his first season, a mighty success, interchanged with Louis Saha and Steve Marley in John Tigana's attack. But two less successful years would follow at Fulham and he worked his way back down through the leagues in his 30s via Sheffield United, Millwall and Leicester. Uh, And another interesting fact about Hales, he actually represented three nations during his career or during his career to date, I should say, because he has no plans to retire. He played for England C, which is the amateur England side, whilst at Stevenage. He played for the Jamaica men's team. And he also represented the Cayman Islands in a 5-0 friendly defeat to DC United. He was allowed to do so because it wasn't an official fixture. Um, And more recently, he's helped England to win the Veterans World Cup in 2016 um, in a squad that included Peter Beagree and Gareth Ainsworth. Wow. Fair play. Good on him. Um, I, I see he was nicknamed the Ox in the Box at one stage. Was he? Yeah. Oh, I like that. Yeah, bit of sort of. Um, was he? Was he quite stocky? He was very quite stocky. A sort of physical yeah. striker. Quite small, physical, um, a little beefy, but but mobile at the same time. But a great player, actually. And up front, alongside him, it's Gary Hooper. <laughs> okay. Yeah, I don't think I knew he was non-league. Yeah, um, he was non-league through and through, mate. Absolutely through and through. He played for Grey's Athletic, um, a.k.a. the Gravel Men. <laughs> the Gravel Men? <laughs> what? Um, it, yeah, he was He was there, um, actually not quite alongside. They sort of succeeded each other. But um, a, a fellow former player was Freddie Eastwood. Ah. At Grey's Athletic as well. Um, but he joined the Tottenham Hotspur youth team at the age of seven. Uh, and when he was 14, he played 20 minutes of a trial game and was then released by the club. Um, he had trials with Northampton Town and Luton Town. Um, but sadly, they proved unsuccessful. And he started playing his non-league football with Malden Town before being signed by Grey's in 2003-04. He helped them win the Conference South title in 04-05, scoring 12 goals. Um, he started for Greys in the um, FA Trophy final that season against Hucknall Town, uh, but was substituted towards the end of extra time. Uh, the match went to penalties and Greys won the shootout 6-5. Uh, the following season in the conference, he scored eight times in 40 league appearances uh, but was released at the end of the season. I'm a bit unsure as to why he was released. I'm assuming it must have been he wanted to be, because mm-hmm. obviously, as his career goes on to tell, he was a bit of a cut above that level. 
Um, maybe he was asking for too much money or simply wanting to play elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but a release from a conference side, I mean, surely spells the end for most. But incredibly, uh, it was the start of a journey that would take him to the Champions League in six years. Incredible. <laughs> um, he first truly found his shooting boots. Um, my favourite phrase. It was and... his goal boots before. I, oh, I'm no, happy shooting with boots. shooting boots. That was absolutely fine. Oh, fine. He, he found his goal boots um, at Scunthorpe United and Celtic. Uh, he scored 132 goals across 233 appearances at both clubs. Sadly, when he got the chance to play in the Premier League with Norwich, he couldn't really translate the form across. Uh, he scored just six goals in his only Premier League season. Um, and he's gone on to become a bit of a, um, uh, I quite like using the German word here for globetrotter, a bit of a Weltenbummler. Um, <laughs> uh, with uh, with stints following at Wellington Phoenix, Kerala Blasters and Omania Nicosia. Um where he currently plays at the ripe age of 34. Um, you listed a few accolades that was it Steve Finnan had a, earlier? Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna gazump you in saying that Hooper scored in the Premier League Championship, League One, League Two, Conference, Conference South, FA Cup, League Cup, Football League Trophy, FA Trophy, Champions League, Europa League. Scottish Cup, Scottish League Cup, and the Scottish Premier League. Oh my God. That is a bit of an achievement for the lad. Well played. He's conquered Scottish and English football. Um, So fair play. Um, He also has an extensive playing style section on Wikipedia. Oh, that's always a really good sign. Yeah. It is. It says Hooper has all the main attributes to play as a striker. He's strong. He can hold the ball up well. He's also a good finisher. He's been described as a penalty box striker. However, he can also pass the ball well, and this allows midfielders to play off him. So he sounds like the absolute complete forward from that. I think Gary might have written that himself. I think Gary might have written that himself. But we've, as we've always said on this podcast, I think if, if you do need proof to a friend that a certain player is a really good player, then if they have a playing style section on their Wikipedia, that, that feels like the most scientific response to that completely agree um i i keep meaning to set aside time to find who is the most niche player with a playing style with a playing style section yeah. but i i then realized that that that's actually just a bit weird to do that so yeah although yeah. i do think you know if anyone does come across a player uh with a playing style section that you think is is probably not worthy of it then do get in touch with us at 11 pod the word not the number Now we return to the centre-back berth. It's up for grabs. There will be a poll on Twitter at 11pod. You vote for the final person, final name in our straight outer conference, 11. First up, we have heard from Thomas Fianney. Thank you so much, Thomas, for getting in touch. Um, He is an absolute wonder kid of journalism in non-league. He knows everything. Um, so do follow him at Thomas Feeney. Uh, he's a reporter and newsreader. A lot of his articles are on his WordPress site online. Um, but like I say, head over to Twitter uh, and you'll hear a nomination from him now. 
When looking at a centre-back whose career got underway in non-league, there were actually quite a few options to choose from. The player, though, that really stood out is an individual whose style of play could be best described as no-nonsense and hard-hitting. He was a cult hero at a number of the clubs that he was at, and it all got underway in the mid-1980s with a spell at Leatherhead. And without any further delay, that individual is Matt Elliott. From there, he was able to join the likes of Torquay United and Oxford United. He's best known, though, for his spell at Leicester City, not only gaining promotion, but also lifting the League Cup. In that final, obviously, he scored both goals against Tranmere Rovers. He also gained a number of international caps for Scotland. And for all those reasons, for all those honours and the style of play as well, that's why I am selecting Matt Elliott to be selected for the 11. Matt Elliott. Matt Elliott vying to be one of um, a select group of names that will have been in two 11s, Arthur. A huge accolade for the man that would be. Yeah. And um, I, I also, I don't know whether it's the case, but it is his job to um, to to summarise football highlights because he, he sounds like he'd be excellent at uh, at summarising the uh, the goings on in the football league, that is true. And I'd like to nominate, please, George Elakobi. Oh, great shout! Great shout. Sometimes a fullback, right? But I imagine, yeah. he was one of those that transitions, did he, into that exactly? Role. So he was left back predominantly, but also a centre back. He moved from Cameroon, and having suffered personal loss um, in the family at a young age, he settled in Welling. And joined up with nearby non-league side Dulwich Hamlet, oh. who are no strangers in helping the development of Premier League players. Peter Crouch, Marlon King, Leon Court, mm. uh, some of the names who spent some time at Champion Hill. Put bluntly, Ella Kobe was built like a brick shithouse. True. True. And an impressive 2003-04 season attracted the attentions of championship side Colchester. He proudly wore Cameroon's sweatbands whilst playing. He continued to rise up the football pyramid, earning a move to Wolves for 500 grand, who was soon promoted to the Premier League. 85 appearances for them. Um, he's absolutely considered a bit of a cult hero there. Uh, and he ended his career at Maidstone, uh, leading them to the National League South title and get their scoring in the final game of his career, a 2-1 win over Hampton and Richmond Borough. Uh, He now manages the club. Uh, Congratulations on the new job, George, because he took, he took, um, because he took charge uh, on the 9th of January and he's drawn one and lost one of his two games in charge. But it's worth mentioning that the, the, the latter was against Wrexham, who are top of the league. And they did come back from two down to draw level at two all before a late Wrexham winner. Uh, so there's definitely good signs there from George. Um, so wishing him the best of luck and hoping that he will have your vote for this 11. I like that. Dulwich Hamlet, um, obviously a, a great team for the locals, but also a bit of a hipster football side, I believe, nowadays. So become quite popular uh, as a non-league ground to visit. Uh, I'm going to throw into this mix Craig Short. <laughs> Craig, okay. Uh, I mean, he was anything but short. He was a rugged Yorkshireman, still is, a burly centre-half, 
Um, his career peaked in the late 90s and early noughties, playing nearly 200 Premier League games with Everton and Blackburn. Uh, and he actually became Ferenc Varos manager in 2009 as well, uh, but left soon after as he didn't possess the UEFA Pro licence required in the Hungarian top division, which seems like a massive flaw in Ferenc Varos's recruitment, don't you think? It does a little bit. <laughs> um, Short's career kicked off in humble beginnings. In the early days, he played alongside his brother, Chris Short, uh, as a, a sort of brotherly centre-back pairing. Um, Chris Short would land up at Sheffield United and Stoke, actually. Uh, but they dominated the back line together for non-league Yorkshire outfit Pickering Town. Nicknamed the Pikes and with another dreadful logo starring a castle, two footballs and two pikes leaping through hoops. Pickering Town are currently members of the Northern League Division 1. Um, it's a different world to Short's Premier League exploits. This season, Pickering play Heaton Stannington, West Allotment Celtic and Harrogate Railway. Craig Short, meanwhile, is a coach at Oxford United. Great pick. If you head to Twitter, those nominations will be up for you to make a choice on who is the other centre-back to play alongside the mighty Fitz Hall in this eleven. Well, it's the straight out of conference 11 that's taken shape. Um, A few that narrowly missed out, perhaps. Uh, I'd imagine the bench for this episode is a fairly rugged, kind of cheap. Uh, One of those PE benches that you used to have to walk across. Yeah, they're certainly not pines. It's probably sort of PVC. Yeah. Um, But we have have Jodie Craddock. Oh. Um, A former Christchurch player um, before obviously getting a chance with uh, various league sides, including Wolverhampton Wanderers, where he's a bit of a club legend. So, um, yes, Jody Craddock uh, and also Chris Smalling. Yeah, 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 a modern version. Yeah, enjoyed that. Also on the bench, uh, I had to throw this in, Nigel Martin, the former England goalkeeper. He started out by playing amateur football for Cornish sides, Heavy Transport FC. <laughs> Bugle and St. Blazy while working in a plastics factory and for a coal <laughs> merchant before beginning his professional career with Bristol Rovers in 1987. Apparently, he was spotted by Bristol Rovers tea lady V. Harris while she was on holiday. <laughs> He went on to make 23 caps for England and played in the 1990 FA Cup final two for Palace. So there we go. That is hilarious. Good job, Nigel. So running you through today's team, in goal we have Lee Harper. At left-back, Darren Barnard. Centre-back, Fitz Hall and a choice of yours. Right-back, Steve Finnan. On the left of midfield, it's Ian Wone. In the centre of midfield, Jimmy Bullard and Alan Pardew. And on the right, Gary Taylor-Fletcher. Behind a strike force of Barry Hales and... Gary Hooper. (laughs) What a team. We've had worse. Thank you for listening.